We are excited for the 4th of July. I've entitled today's message, God and Country, as we look at freedom through the lens of God's gift of freedom to us. But this weekend, we celebrate the independence of our country. And what better way than to let the whole, let's light stuff on fire, fireworks, everybody's wonder, you know, favorite time of the year where you, can just, you just get to be a kid again. And, and Gretchen and I and our kids, we've worked with uh, a friend over the last several years to help run a fireworks stand to sell said fireworks. And we always get the same questions every year. Do you guys have any of the Roman candles or the mortars or, you know, that stuff that shoots into the air and explodes? You know, the good stuff. Do you guys have anything like that? And our, our response is always the same. Unfortunately, we can't sell those in Oregon because... They're illegal. Apparently, the, 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 great, the great state of Oregon decided that they didn't want all of you amateur pyros to light yourselves, your grass, your house, or your neighbor's house on fire, and they decided to ban those things. And so, you're welcome. The state of Oregon knows you better than you know yourself. But if we admit it, we all have a little bit of the, the rebellious side of us in us that wants to go to Washington or one of the Indian reservations to get some of the good stuff so that we can really, really embrace the 4th of July the way it was meant to be. We've all been there. I actually read of a, a kid named Jim whose family was having the extended family 4th of July cookout at their home. One of the special treats that year was the, the lighting of the fireworks, and they did have the Roman candles and the bottle rockets and the M80s and all, all the cool stuff, although they had purchased it out of state because they were illegal in their state, of course, as well. And just before the relatives were to arrive, one of Jim's cousins called and said their neighbor's plans had just fallen through, and could they bring them along to the picnic? They even had extra food. Come on now. The parents said, sure, the more the merrier. Let's get this party going. And upon arrival and meeting of their cousin's neighbors, it was discovered that the dad was a police officer. And the father turned as innocently as he could to Jim and whispered to him, hey, grab the paper bag of fireworks sitting in the kitchen and, and hide them somewhere, quick. So Jim discreetly disappeared and the father changed the topic to the, the food of the day. The family had brought some chicken to grill, and so the father told them the, grass gil, the, grass, the gas grill was out back, ready to be used. Just turn on the gas and push the ignition button. With the lid closed, so it'll warm up. So they headed out to the back. As Jim came back in through the front door, the father hurried to him and said, Phew, that was close. That man's a police officer, and he almost saw the fireworks. Did you hide them really, really well? Of course, Jim replied with a hearty thumbs up. Oh, yeah, Dad. Nobody will ever think to look of him in the grill. <laughs> Don't store your fireworks in the grill. It's a public service announcement. It's just not going to end well. But as, as Americans... We all have a bit of that rebellious streak in us. I would even say the majority of the time we have that tendency to really 
lean into the rights and freedoms that are afforded us by the U.S. Constitution and our Bill of Rights. Doggone it, we've even got to the place where we've shortened America and it's just America. (laughs) But our country is currently in the midst of a firestorm of controversy and heated debate over individual rights and freedoms at every level of, of government, it seems like. Many over the past two years used any and every platform of interaction available to passionately share their thoughts, opinions, and interpretations of their rights as Americans. Darn it, I can do this, and I have the right to do that. In God we trust. It's on our currency, it's on our national buildings, it's even in our Pledge of Allegiance for for the time being. But is our allegiance really to the Almighty God, maker of of heaven and earth, or to our political party, our favorite social justice cause, or a set of rights, unalienable rights? Where does our confidence and our trust lie? The problem comes when we place a greater value on our perceived religious rights as Americans and fail to embrace the freedom we're given in Jesus' death and resurrection and our need to point others to the eternal kingdom of God. Are we wrapped up in the kingdoms of this earth or the kingdom of God? See, rights and freedoms are two concepts that that overlap to a certain extent. Rights are, by definition, an individual's moral or legal entitlement to have or do something. Whereas freedom is the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in a choice or action. They're similar, but they're different. And oftentimes we get wrapped up in our rights as Americans. So how then do we balance the rights we enjoy as Americans while ultimately staying focused on the freedom we're given by being in Christ? Our text today is found in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If you don't, you can see the scriptures on the screen or check out the YouVersion Bible app and search Neighborhood Church. Galatians chapter 5, as Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, he, he writes in verse 13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your gift of love. We thank you for the gift of salvation that was purchased through the shed blood of your Son. We thank you, God, that you have called us into relationship and that you have made us free and we repent of our of our sins and we choose to to go the different direction and to follow and pursue your plan and purpose for our lives we experience freedom but father we so often get pulled into the temptation of 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 prioritizing our earthly rights and placing those at the forefront of how we live our lives 
So we ask today, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would, that you would pull us out of this place of standing on the things that we so desperately desire. And instead, that we would experience freedom in such a way that we would see your desire that every person on this earth would be free. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts today and challenge us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what does it mean to truly live free? Is it found in some document that's, that's hundreds of years old that was founded by our founding fathers? Is that the, the, the measure of, of, of freedom? Because I would contend that's an imperfect, limited view of what freedom truly is. See, if we truly want to understand the freedom that we've been given in Christ, we need to understand that experiencing the gift of freedom in Christ Jesus, should always compel us to serve other people. Freedom was not given so that we can just go around and do whatever we want and live however we want to live. It was given so that we could live lives that point people to Him. See, it's interesting. We place a lot of our trust in our rights as Americans. Would you agree? Life. Liberty, the pursuit of, okay, that was pitiful, come on now, the pursuit of, man, there you are, but have you ever noticed how these perceived rights and pursuits of happiness oftentimes become very self-absorbed and self-focused? I have the right to do this. I have the right to do that. I have the right to hang out with these people. I have the right to speak my mind. I mean, it would be amazing if everyone's pursuit of happiness was to serve one another well. But that's not really what we see, do we? We live in a country that is self-focused. I me, us, we get to do this. We've been given these rights. We struggle in a society and a, a culture of entitlement. Kids and cell phones. Our kids are wonderful blessings. The three of them, Elijah, Micah, and Leah. In about fifth grade, Dad, you need a cell phone. Who are you even going to call? Like, no, I need a cell phone. And of course, they know how to use cell phones these days because they have iPads in their cribs, you know, and, and you know. But there's this, this, this level of entitlement. We no longer have helicopter parents. Is everybody familiar with the, with the helicopter parent, right? The parents that hover over the kids, make sure everything's okay. Now we have what's called lawnmower parents. You heard? You know what a lawnmower parent is? Lawnmower parents aren't, aren't the hovering kind. They actually go out in front of their kids and they mow down any obstacle or hardship that their child might experience in life before they ever get there. It's beautiful. Yeah. 
But that's, that's the level of entitlement the kids experience. I don't ever have to face hardship because mom and dad are going to take care of it. Right? We think we should get a passing grade just for showing up. I showed up at school for crying out loud. I'm here. I could have stayed home, but I'm here. You're not going to flunk me. I have to do something. I actually have to learn something. My presence here is not enough of a gift for you. For me, it was when I was growing up a letterman's jacket. I know it sounds weird and petty. Back then, they were still cool. I don't know if they are now. (laughs) But I played sports in high school, and I lettered in a few sports. And so, of course, Mom, Dad, I need a letterman's jacket because I, I lettered. So you need to get me a letterman's jacket. Well, that ended up not happening, as uh, luck would have it. And so, of course, not having gotten my letterman's jacket, which I deserved, I just told my parents, listen, when I finish college, you can get me a class ring. Because, of course, I'm entitled to that. Since you paid for my education, you should get me a class ring. I mean, that makes, makes perfect sense on paper. That didn't happen either. But we live our lives in this, this, this level of entitlement. And Paul engages the conversation of our freedom in Galatians. And then he begins to talk about this throughout the New Testament in several of his letters. And it's, it's not this isolated conversation. He talks about it quite a bit. And if we truly embrace his message that we've been given the gift of, th- of freedom through Jesus in order to better serve people, he also begins to discuss these freedoms in 1 Corinthians. Specifically, he begins to break down some of the debates, the contentious debates that are going on surrounding food sacrifice to idols. In chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians, he begins to unpack this. And it's interesting what he said. If you go and you, you, you read through chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he begins to talk about food sacrifice to idols, and this is the summary of that chapter. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge has a tendency to, to, to usher in an, 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 a level of pride and arrogance because we know. We know that we have these rights. We, ha- we know we have these, these freedoms that we can stand on as Americans. But love builds people up serves them. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I have to flip over here. If you don't have one of these, you need to get one. I have a Bible that has two ribbons. Two. See that? Yeah. That's an advanced mechanic right there. Two ribbon Bible. If you don't have one, you should get one. They're awesome. I can save more than one place. But 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to who? The weak. Be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. What does that mean? You don't get to do whatever you want to do. Because there are people watching. And it may cause them to stumble. It may cause them to walk into sin. 
Paul's in the midst of, of having this debate about food sacrifice to idols, and there's this, this heated debate going on about whether or not it's okay to eat that food. And all of a sudden, he says, listen, it's not whether you believe that you can or believe that you can't. Whatever you do, if it's causing someone to sin, you shouldn't do it. See, we, we love our rights. We love our freedoms. We love all the things that we think we're entitled to. But do we ever think about the people who are watching? I heard it the last two years. I have the right to do this. I don't have to wear that. We should be able to do whatever we want. The government can't tell us what to do. America. And yet Paul is saying, don't let your rights place a stumbling block in front of someone else. See, we've been called to love. We've been called to serve. We've been called to lift people. And if our rights ever come in conflict with that, we've got to step back and we've got to look. We've got to say, what is it that I'm doing and is it helping or hindering somebody from understanding the love of Jesus? It's interesting, in, in chapter 9, Paul begins to use himself as an example of, of renouncing his own rights. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19, it says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I may save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul relinquished his rights at every turn so that he could save some. Do we see our rights as something we get to stand on and puff our chest out and say, oh, no. Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, it says I could do this, I could be this, I could say this. Or do we realize there, are, there is people's eternity at stake, people who are watching us live our lives wondering if it's truly Jesus that we represent. In chapter 10, Paul shifts his focus, his focus to, to warn against idolatry. It's interesting. In chapter 10, verse 14, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Why is he talking about idolatry? Because if we rewind a little bit, the temptation of the nation of Israel was to worship God and then flip the script over and worship other stuff. You remember? 
If we read the Old Testament, it was just this back and forth. It was like ping pong. Worship God, he's the almighty God. Worship Baal, get out the Asher poles, let's have a little party. It's going to be great. And there's this constant friction between where they're called to worship, place their worship. And so Paul's bringing them back to this temptation we have to worship other stuff. Guess what? Anything that takes priority and precedent in your life, eventually you will worship. Because there's only one first place. There's only one first place in your life and in your heart. And it can't be given to multiple things. When I step into covenant with my wife, we are together, we are one. She is first place in my relationship. We have a marriage covenant. When I step into relationship with Jesus, he takes first place and everything else is secondary. But anything that takes priority becomes a potential place of worship and idolatry. The truth is God doesn't care if we know how it is that we're supposed to live. He only cares if we use our freedom to lovingly point people to experience his unconditional, unfailing, unending love. Because that's why he was, gave us that love in the first place. That's why he gave us the gift of salvation, of freedom found in Jesus through the, the death and resurrection of his son. That is why that's there that none would perish, but everybody would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And if you don't believe that part of it, you're like, well, no, yeah, he's a judging God, and it's, you know, it's heaven or hell. Go to, go to John 3.17. For God did not send, send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. That's the love of Father God. We cannot get to a place of placing things in front of God's desires and plans for our lives. See, America, for the, the bulk of, of recent history, has, has been a place that leads the world, and it's a, America's a force to be reckoned with on all levels. The U.S. remains at the top of the list when it comes to military, economic dominance. On the world stage, we are impressive. And yet, if you look around, it seems like our country is just eating itself alive. But being number one is something Americans have, have grown accustomed to. You watch the Olympics and you're like, yeah, let's watch the medal count. Come on, let's go USA. Right? I mean, we all do it. I, you know. But often, the, the pride that comes with, with a country that we love can become blinding to us even as Christians. Especially in, 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 in the privileged areas where maybe we don't always see injustice or struggle the way that some states or cities do. And this causes sometimes even the believer to stumble seeking the kingdom of the American dream over the kingdom of God. See, David had it figured out in the Bible. He understood the kingdom 
that he was supposed to be pursuing. Kingdom that's talked about in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. But what do we do? We, 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 we seek and we pursue all these things. And then we add in God. We've got to remember that the gift of freedom that we find in Jesus should always compel us to serve the people that God has placed in our lives. And in moving beyond our rights, stepping away from all the things that we think we're entitled to, the gift of freedom will lead us to a lifestyle of love. And not like the, whoo, love, yeah, it's all, you know, get together and do a group hug, not that kind of love. The sacrificial love. The love that took Jesus to the cross. The lay down your life kind of love. The servanthood love that says, no, it's not about me, it's about, it's about what you need. It's about God's plan and purpose in your life. Even if you don't know him yet, I want to come alongside of you. Show you who he is. See, it's important we come to a place of moving beyond the rights we possess as a license to do whatever we want to do in life. Because that becomes the temptation. I can do this. I can go there. I can say whatever I want. Freedom of speech, gosh darn it. First Amendment. America. But instead, we should see God's gift of love in Jesus' death and resurrection as a freedom to offer that kind of sacrificial love to others. What does that look like Practically. Submitting your own desires to the, the desire of your neighbor. Coming alongside of somebody who's, who's hurting and struggling and offering hope and peace and friendship. See, Paul brings his instruction on freedom to an important point at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I've got to flip, flip my page because I only have two ribbons. I don't have three. But the final movement in the final verses of chapter 10 is where Paul's point can be summarized as use your freedom for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. I have the right to do anything. Does that sound familiar to any of us? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of who? Others. How many people should seek the good of others? Everyone. No one should seek their own good. Can you imagine what the world would look like if, if none of us went around seeking our own good? That's a different level of love, right? That's more than just kind of like, oh. That's pushing past the, oh, us four and no more. This is my crew. This is my tribe. These are the people that I'll. What do they say, ride or die? What, is, what does that even mean? It's so weird. Am I the only one who's heard that saying? Wow. All right. If we look at the life of Jesus, we can all likely agree 
that if there was anybody in the history of the world who was entitled, or who could have been entitled, it would be Jesus. Paul says, don't seek your own good, but the good of others. And then he, he finishes the chapter out by saying this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And then his famous phrase, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. If someone, if someone was to follow you, would they know that you're following Christ? I know this isn't the most patriotic message in the world, you know. God bless the USA. But if we look at the life of Jesus, he was the only one who was entitled to whatever he desired. After all, he was fully God, he was fully man. He was the real deal. He is the real deal. Yet as the promised Messiah, he came in humility and obedience to the Father. Have you ever been blown away by the Trinity? God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All equal. And yet Jesus comes to earth and he submits himself to the will of the Father. It's incredible. Because he's showing us what it looks like to be a servant. He's showing us what it looks like to love people in the most sacrificial ways. And Philippians 2.8 tells us what that looks like. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The greatest picture of sacrificial love Jesus shows us. And we've been given the gift of freedom through Jesus' selfless act of going to the cross for us. Don't you think we should be compelled to relinquish our own rights and show people that kind of love? Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will what? Find it. That means when we give up our rights, when we submit ourselves to the purpose of God, when we serve people well and we give sacrificial love, we will find our life because we've given it away. But here's the problem. It's uncomfortable giving up our preferences and our desires and our rights. It's uncomfortable breaking outside of our little sphere of influence and inviting people into community because it's messy. That is what God has called us to do. That is what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't chasing after all the churchy people to hang out with. He was hanging out with the least. 
He was hanging out with the hurting and the broken. He was showing the sacrificial love that somebody does when they truly, truly love. See, the kingdom of God is perfect in every way. The difficulty is that that, that, that that certainly can't be said of America. America is far from perfect. Have we come a long ways in our history? Yeah. Are we perfect? Sorry, gang. But we can acknowledge the good in a culture while simultaneously confronting its evil, the sin, the selfish pursuits. And as Christians, we know the ever-present tension of living between the now and the not yet. This world of darkness and evil that we live in, understanding that there's an eternal hope of heaven. But we're called to be in the world, not of it. And it's both Christian and American to pursue justice and liberty for all. That is a noble pursuit, but that means facing and repenting for the ways we've messed up. That means we have to repent of the, area, of the areas of our lives where we've taken people in the wrong direction and we haven't pointed them to Jesus. Author Timothy, Timothy Thomas in his book Reparations, Repairing and Rewriting Our Idea of Independence writes, the pain of mistreatment and human devaluation lives on. It has not gone away. It carries social, economic, and financial consequences passed down to me and so many others. And it has come at the hands of a government that allowed such atrocities to happen under a rule of law. I'm only a couple generations removed from being regarded as worthless in the eyes of my government and America's largest denomination, the haunting reality. We can see the good in our country and still embrace that we've got a long ways to go. See, Jesus was working against the culture. Jesus was loving the people that he wasn't supposed to be loving. Jesus was hanging out with the people he was, had no business being around. And it pushed against a culture that said, oh, no, 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 no. We don't hang out with those people. We don't spend time. We don't even look at them. We don't even address them. There is still work to be done as we pursue seeing Matthew 6.10 come to fruition in our country. God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's still work to be done. And it's up to us. See, America has been called the melting pot, a nation filled with people from different cultures and countries News or a uh, magazine article editorial writer Nancy French writes about struggling with how to raise her Ethiopian daughter to understand patriotism in light of her faith in an article in the Washington Post entitled How to Love America on the Fourth of July Without Falling into Christian Nationalism. This is what she writes. The term nationalism carries with it ominous echoes of blood and soil unsuitable for a nation composed of people from many different ethnicities and many different soils. I prefer the term patriotism as a description of the love for the specific idea that binds us together across profound 
differences. As C.S. Lewis wrote in The Four Loves, patriotism asks only to be let alone. It becomes militant only to protect what it loves. In any mind that has a pennyworth of imagination, it produces a good attitude towards foreigners. How can I love my home without coming to realize that other men no less rightly love theirs? Once you've realized that Frenchmen like café complete, just as we like bacon and eggs, why, good luck to them and let them have it. The last thing we want is to make everywhere else just like our own home. It would not be home unless it were different. One of our best qualities about America is we can transcend mere nationalism because we are composed of people from different soils. It is great for Christians to show gratitude for a country that respects our liberty, but we should also extend incredible love and courtesy to people who differ from us. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say, come hang out with me over here? He went to people. He went to their homes. He went and dined with them. He wanted to be where they were. There is nothing sacred about this world. The sacredness is what and who we bring with us into the world. And Jesus' greatest desire is that we would take him with us everywhere we go. See, as we live out our faith in a diverse country, we would be wise to live according to the most important commandments found in Mark chapter 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, loving God, people, and the ideals of our country, they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but they do need to be prioritized according to Scripture, seeking first the kingdom of God will help us to get everything in the correct order. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we prepare to close? Father, we want to seek you first in everything. We want to seek your plan and your purposes in our lives. We want to be those that would, that would follow you, that would love people, that would use our freedom to show people love, that we would use our freedom to serve people well, that we wouldn't get wrapped up in our rights, but we would see salvation as an invitation to relationship through redemption and repentance. That as we turn away from our sin and we begin to follow your purpose and plan for our lives, that we would be able to call those that you bring across our paths, serve them well, and love them in such a way that they see our good deeds and they praise our Father which is in heaven. God, help us not to get caught up in our rights but to see our freedom as a gift a gift that was purchased not just for us but so that everyone might be saved we ask that you'd help us to keep that center focus in our lives in our families in our workplace in our community in our country and in our world